We're going to transition into our time in God's Word, which is the high point of our worship, not because it's my favorite thing to do as a preacher, but because it is the authoritative Word of God that we are about to engage. It is this Word that informs every word we just sang. It is this Word that informs and, and calls every prayer we pray. And it is this very Word that is the life blueprint, as it were, for this week for us all. And so we gather now to lock eyes with the Lord and to hear from Him. Um, my joy, as I was describing to someone last week, is to um, put the food on the plate and then do this. Just hold it out and say, eat up. This is good food. I don't have to dress it up. I don't have to add to it, make it look any better than it already is. This is the Word of God for hungry people. And so let's pray as we prepare to receive it this morning. Lord, as we now spend time locking eyes with You, listening to You, I pray that You would tune in our hearts and open our eyes to see You and hear You and and receive these words, Lord, deep inside of us. I pray specifically this morning for discernment, for clarity of mind, for a supernatural, eye-opened heart to see things as you see them, to see what is real. And Lord, especially I pray for any who would be here today who are uh, not bending their knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray even for some who may have come here for years and they're around the church and they're in the church and they're doing religious things, but may in fact find this morning that they are not saved. I pray, Lord, that you would even already begin to stir open eyes and cause us to to see Christ as our living hope this morning and that all here would call upon him as Savior, and follow Him as Lord today. It's in the authority of heaven. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I titled the the sermon here, Fruit-Filled and Authentic Living. I just want to call to mind a little bit of where we've been here. Even before this, last week, we had Jesus calling out the blessings and the woes. Blessed are those who hunger now, for they will be satisfied. But woe! to those who are filled now, for they shall hunger. And, and all of the blessings and woes, right? And then he, he called us beyond the reaction, this, the, the instinctual reaction of judgment and, uh, and, and, and hatred to, to love. Love. Love your enemies, even. Kingdom-minded responses. And he raised the bar way beyond what was normal or even expected in the day. And then last week, he really stuck it to us. Don't be judgmental. Instead, be merciful and loving. Don't condemn, but be kind and give and forgive. And then we we closed with the verse last week about the log and the speck. And Jesus is is kind of telling this, this extreme account of a story um, about a man who, who was, was pointing his finger about the sin in someone else's life. And he says, hey, don't you understand? You have a log in your own eye. 
can't address the speck, the tiny speck in someone else's life until you first address the log in your own. So don't be a hypocrite, but humbly address your own sin before seeking to help and address the sin of others. Jesus is he's, he's laying it down. He's, he's bringing this sermon to its, its closing point. And there's some very significant interactions that are going to happen in these verses that we studied today. And uh, so that's what I want us to have is just a sense of the flow. The things that he said are unbelievably challenging to what folks would have assumed as normal or expected, even of the most religious in their day. And so we come now to this. The fruit reveals the root. Verses 43 to 45. Let's just kind of take these verses and and, and unpack them as we go here. The four in verse 43, four, no good tree, points us to the handoff, right? So he's talking about log and speck, and then the handoff is, he's going to build it out more. Four, no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a, a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Whoa. That is so profound for us. What is Jesus pointing to? Think of the flow. Think of where we've been, what we've covered. And then he draws us into this. He's, he's, he's driving his sermon home to his listeners. And remember, the listeners that he's addressing by and large here are followers. They're disciples. They're kingdom people. People who are looking to Jesus as the teacher, the, the prophet, the Messiah. They've, they've seen him. They've heard him. And they're following. This is those who would say, yeah, I'm committed. I follow him. As he looks and he speaks, eye to eye, heart to heart. A few things jump out to me. He said last week, judge not, lest you be judged. So much of what we discern in that context was the outside judging, the pointing the finger, being judgmental and condemning, pharisaical, really, hypocritical. But it's as if he wants to, to build this out now. Listen, if you want to judge, start here. You need to examine your own life. You need to discern where you stand. Look at the fruit that hangs on the branches of your life. Listen to the words that speak from your heart and judge those. Examine those. What do you see? What does it say? The sinner is not inclined to do this. Our inclination as natural-born sinners, the autopilot response of the soul is not introspective and assessing of my own faults, flaws, errors, sins. I, by instinct, do that to you and downplay that in me. And Jesus turns that upside down and says, let's change that. Let's start here. If you want to judge, look in. So it's really the echo of last week, handing off that whole look in, look up. Now you're ready to look out and love. 
Examine your own life. He points to these inconsistencies. Do you think that figs come from thorn bushes or, or grapes from a bramble bush? You don't get that kind of fruit from that kind of root. That's what he's pointing to. James, I believe, echoes these words of Jesus in his own epistle here. He says this, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? See, he's pointing to saying that it's the same thing. This is inconsistent. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the echo of the same kingdom reality. This, this assessment, this accountability, this examine. What is it that flows out from your inside? The core of who you are is going to reveal itself. What do you see when it does? Hmm. Fruit-filled and authentic living. That's the goal. That's what he's calling us to. Let's be real, disciples, followers, all you who say, we're in. You bless in one minute, you curse in the next. Something's off. Okay. What do my words reveal about the condition of my heart? That would be a way to put this in the form of a question. What is it that my words reveal about what's happening inside. How do, does, does my action display my attitude? Friends, this is a question that we should regularly ask. Because even when we are saved by Christ, made alive in Christ, we are still hunting for the echo of sin. Are, are we not? The impulse, the autopilot responses. And we should... Be careful to look for bad fruit that hangs on the branches of our lives. Inconsistent fruit. One of the things that Jesus is driving home is that if, in fact, you see fruit hanging on the branches of your life that is bad, maybe there is something far more at work than you realize. Maybe the root itself is bad. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of his heart, the mouth speaks. And so oftentimes, I remember Paul Tripp, our guy at the marriage conference that we're going to have, he, he does an illustration. He has a water bottle and he says, listen, the water's inside. It's in the heart, right? But shake the life. What comes out? Well, what comes out is what's inside. When you are shaken, you will speak. And what you speak reveals what's inside. God will lovingly shake us to show us. You see this? It's His goodness and His grace. He will shake us to show us. Hmm. Jesus is pointing this out. 
It's the overflow of the heart. The Pharisees were content focusing on the outside. Oh, they would polish it up. Everything was good. The outside, everything was just perfect. That was just amazingly beautiful goblet. Look at the, the, the detail and all of the engraving. And I mean, you could just see yourself on the reflection of that goblet. And Jesus says, that's great. It's filled with dirt. You going to drink out of that? You got to look inside. Constantly, Jesus points us to the heart, the core of who we are, inside of us. That is what is. And that, it, that which is inside will find its way out. Hmm. This can be very convicting. This can be graciously revealing. One of the greatest fears of my pastoral ministry is that there would be someone who would attend Good Shepherd Community Church for their entire life, and stand and sing and sit and nod and say amen, which, by the way, we can do that here. That's okay. And they would meet the Lord face to face someday, and they would say, Lord, Lord, it's great to be here. And he would say, who are you? I don't know you. No, but no, but we... But we I attended Good Shepherd every week. I was, you know, I would say I was on the worship team or I served meals. I helped at Woodway. I went on a mission trip, whatever it was. You don't understand. I did all kinds of things. And he says, depart from me. I don't know you. I never knew you. You're a worker of evil. What is he saying? He's saying it's not enough just to go to church and be religious. What you have to have is something on the inside of massive, radical transformation. Kingdom living is not simply polishing the outside of the goblet. It has to address the root of our lives before the fruit can ever be grown and consistent. We've got a lot of metaphors going on here, don't we? We've got trees, we've got goblets and water bottles, and man... Paul Tripp, War of Words, great book, by the way. It's very tempting to blame others or to blame the situation around us, but uh, word problems reveal heart problems. This is, he's echoing Jesus' words here. The people and situations around us do not make us say what we say. They are only the occasion for our hearts to reveal themselves in words. Wow. No, but you don't understand. She can just get under my skin and all of a sudden it's, it's her fault. I just blow up. No, no. You reveal what's inside. You see, we live in a victim day. I am the victim. Everything that I do, I'm simply, it's, it's, it's your fault, not my fault. Jesus changes that. He turns it. Own it. Call it what it is. And run to Christ where there is hope. So, a great place to go when we come in contact with this kind of thing is Galatians 5. This is so helpful for us. And I think the, especially the fruit imagery comes alive here. Paul writes this, The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, 
uh, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I love Paul's lists. Don't you love his list? He's just like shotgun blasting out a list of horrible fruit. He just blasts it all out. And he's like, and things like these. He says, if I, anything I didn't list, and everything else. And then he says this, I warn you as I warned you before. Jesus is doing this right here. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That gets real in a hurry. It doesn't matter if you attend every week. If the fruit that hangs on the branches of your life falls in line with that list of bad fruit, it means the root is not alive. You are bound for hell in the context of church. Hmm. So what do we do? What, what, what do you do? Just say you're here this morning. You're like, well, I've been going to church for years. But I am concerned about the fruit that I see. If I am honest, the fruit of my life is revealing some problems with the root of this tree. Is there hope? Oh, there's hope. This is where the mission of Christ and the gospel meets us. This is where every sinner must arrive. Listen to what Ezekiel writes about this radical transformation. Jesus is talking about the heart. He's talking about the, 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 the things that well up from a bad heart. Well, what do we do if we have a bad heart? What do I do if I just showed up here and this is my first time in church and I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm serious. I, there's bad fruit. What do I do? Listen to what God has promised that He will do. Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. I will give you, God says, I will give you a new heart and a, and a new spirit I will put within you. I will take out, this is a heart transplant, I will take out the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a soft heart, a, a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Look at the display of salvation. Look at what God promises to do. How is it that He does all of this? Through Jesus. All of this anticipates the work of Christ. It is only in Christ that we can be forgiven. It is only in in looking to Christ and, and calling upon Him as our only hope that we can ever address the real issue within us. We need a new heart. And He has offered His. And God says, I'm the surgeon. I'll do the work. Look to Me. Call upon Me. Trust Me. I will change you. Such that this new heart 
that he gives when we come to Christ will begin to bear fruit. And look, look what he says. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and obey my rules. There will be fruit that starts to grow on the branches of your life for the glory of God. I'm going to do that in you. He doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't give us a new heart and say, okay, now figure it out. It's like, I'm going to walk you through this day by day. So, on the other side of salvation in Christ, we find that we are given new hearts. Because trusting in Christ and His transforming work, the deepest thing about me is no longer sin and corruption and evil. The deepest thing about me in Christ is now His righteousness, goodness, uprightness. Now live from that place. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit that we are called to, this is choice fruit. It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's some fruit. That's the kind of fruit that God intends to hang on the branches of your life. Why? Why? so that others will be blessed by it and he will be praised for it. That's why. You realize the fruit that you are to to have hanging on the branches of your life is for others? It's an outward expression of his goodness to you. It's to bless as you've been blessed. Been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we might walk in, Ephesians 2.10. Now, some may be here and and be saying, okay, wow, Um, I'm looking in and I'm seeing some some fruit that's not not as choice as that. The the apple's got a little little discoloration here. We're, We're not where we need to be. It's about progression, not perfection. When we examine our lives in Christ and we're looking for the root of the gospel to to grow in us the fruit of obedience and joy and and the fruit of the Spirit hanging on our branches, if you're looking for perfection on this side of glory, you're going to be disappointed. However, there should be noticeable progression. At the end of this year, do I love more? from the heart than last year or a few years ago? Do you look back on your walk with Christ? Do I see more of these things showing themselves in my life? Am I more joyful in the Lord? Can I find joy even in the midst of challenge and suffering and pain? This is the display of of roots. When the roots plant deep into the bedrock of the gospel, the fruit increasingly shows itself. This is kingdom life. This is kingdom living. This is what it looks like to walk with Christ. Love. Joy. Peace. You peacemakers. Do you delight in peace? Is it a goal of yours? Do you long for peace? Do you love peace? Do you work for peace? 
patience. You know, I, 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 when I was younger, I, I had this assumption. I, I, my assumption was this, and those of you who are uh, much older than me in your walk with the Lord will laugh because you know, here's my assumption. The older I get, the more patient I will be. I just figured that was assumed, isn't it? Isn't it just true that the older you get, the more patient you become? No. That is not. That's a faulty assumption. However, in Christ, this is the call. And the fruit can, in fact, hang on our lives increasingly so. The choice fruit of patience. Be patient with one another. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. kindness. This is playing offense. This is reaching out. This is being others-oriented. It's when I move beyond myself, thinking about myself to you. Move into how you're doing. Where are you? Where are you hurting? How can I help? Outward offense. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Oh, and self-control self-control. We live in a day where these fruits will shine. They will shine. They will stand out. Kingdom living. That's what it looks like. So examine the root and then look to Christ. Look to Christ and there will be increasing fruit. If you're here today and you're saying, listen, I don't have, I don't have the tree planted on Christ, you will not display these fruits. Not in any authentic and real way. They won't be there. You will be a very self-absorbed person, self-seeking person who is quick to react just like the rest of the world. The call is find Christ, His likeness, His character, His example calls us to these things. Okay, now listen to how Jesus lands his sermon. These are the closing verses of his sermon on the plane. And this is what he says. It's an amazing transition here. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? (laughs) Okay, uh, this is the part of the sermon where the pen could be heard dropping. Right? All of these people... And you can, almost, you can almost have the sense like someone maybe from the back, Amen, brother! We're with you, Jesus! Preach it, man! And all of a sudden, Jesus says, Are you really? Really? Because you're not doing what I'm saying. They've been following Jesus. He's, he's watched. He sees. Oh, the temptation to this. Oh, Lord, Lord. Amen, brother. Great message. And we walk out the door and we live like we never heard a thing. No change. No, no, no thought of what we just heard preached. That is the essence of religiosity. I would call it this, the soul-destroying dangers of hypocrisy. Oh boy, that's great. 
we're following you. I mean, the, the call here is this. It's, it's Lord, Lord. It's a term of, of affection, of honor, of esteem. To say it twice means you really mean it. And he says, you call me this, but these, these words are empty. They, they're, they're empty words. He says of the Pharisees, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What they say is vain. This is a challenge when we sing to mean what we sing. A prayer, really. Lord, help me when I say these words in this song to say them from a real desiring heart that that is what I'm going to do. I will trust. I will trust in you. In all of the words we speak, we are going to give account for every careless word. Every careless word. Saving faith in Christ will always lead to surrendered obedience to Christ. I say that with the full backing of the Word of God. Absolutely confident. There cannot be true saving faith and no change in your life. You lie and deceive yourself that that faith is real. It is not real. It's inauthentic. True saving faith in Christ will always display itself in increasing surrendered, and I would add joyful, delighted obedience to Christ. This suggestion that you can get fire insurance, you just say yes to Jesus, live however you want, and when you die, you get the good stuff and not the fire. That is not the gospel. That is not what Jesus preached. That's cheap. And there are a lot of people in hell who bought into that. They lived for hell and they got hell. Please, don't do that. Examine your heart. Is the faith that you have placed in Jesus real? If it is, you're going to love Him. You're going to want to please and obey Him. You're going to want to live for Him and shine His glory and show it to others. You're going to be changed. You're not going to stay the same. Can you have Jesus as Savior and not as Lord? No! You cannot. You cannot. If you think He can be your Savior and not the master and commander of your life, you don't understand what Savior is. The fact that this was a debate for years in our country blows my mind. Praise the Lord for John MacArthur who called this out. There was some errant theology that was operating and being propagated that somehow you could just say, oh, save me, and then like 30 years later, now I'll make you the Lord of my life. No way. No way. Bended knee. Turn from sin. Cling to Him. That's saving faith. Hmm. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works, James writes. Can that faith that doesn't work 
save him? Can that kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and, and one says to them, hey, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? You see what he's saying? You've got to disconnect here. We have a root problem if we have a fruit problem. So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead faith. It's, 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 it's not saving faith. We've got to interpret these verses in light of all of Scripture. And so here's what I want to do. I want to be explicitly clear this morning so that we can distinguish what is biblical from what is religious all around us. So let me show you what a lot of times people will take from that verse. They'll say, okay, so... What James is saying, what the Bible requires, is that we have faith in Christ and works in order to be saved. That the root of our very salvation is Jesus' work plus my work, and then I'm okay. Is that what James just said? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If you're here this morning and that is your understanding of the equation of salvation, throw it out completely. You can't add anything to Jesus' work. It's perfect. It's complete. He finished the work on your behalf. What do we bring to the equation? Nothing. Sin. That's what we bring. Need. Deficiency. We come empty-handed to Him in faith, looking to His work completely, and we say, rescue me, save me. I look to you and I renounce anything that I would be tempted to bring. That's salvation. So what does it then mean that faith without works is dead? This is what I would say. We come empty-handed in faith and we find salvation in Christ. And then from that place, we grow and we show fruit. We have capacity now. We have, we have the Spirit of God and we have new hearts. We are given the ability to then shine and grow. And if we don't, then we got to come back again and make sure that we truly see Him. That we truly see this is in fact our Savior. He is our only hope. That this this Savior has worked all for us, and He is the foundation. He's the root. It's only through Him that we could ever bear fruit. You see what he's saying? Faith without works is dead. And so we get rid of that top, and we underline faith equals salvation, and it's going to show itself as real, genuine, kingdom living in fruit, good fruit ever-increasingly, progressively growing. I think it's so important that we're clear on that. Some of you have come up in Catholic backgrounds. I know in this struggle, is, it's just you have to unravel this. Make sure you come to Jesus empty-handed. And as you go with Him then, and the joy of your salvation, He will cause you to obey, and fruit will grow in your life. 
Philip Ryken, uh, a renowned commentator, said it this way, that the truest profession of our faith is the practice of our faith. You can stand up and give all the lip service you want. Oh, I'm a Christian. I go to church every week. I do this. I do that. No. I'll tell you what makes it real and legitimate. It's the practice of our faith that displays itself in the fruits of a life such that when you are shaken, kingdom water spills out. You can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, uh, for my, b- before my enemies. My cup overflows. I'm confident, even in the valley of the shadow of death, in front of my enemies, as I sit at this table of your bounty, goodness and mercy will follow me all my days. Why? Because you promised. Because you promised. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Shake that heart, and kingdom water comes fruit of righteousness will flow. I believe that sometimes God shakes the tree of His people so that good fruit will be thrown out of that to bless and shine. How will they respond? The world is watching. Is it real? Do they really love Jesus? Are they going to love their enemies? Even as we pray for the persecuted church around the world, we think, Lord, maybe the best thing is to eliminate the persecution. And no, we don't want people persecuted, but God is big enough and good enough and sovereign enough to enable the very persecution that so hurts our brothers and sisters to cause the, the wildfire of the spread of the gospel. Because it's real. It's real. It's not some Joel Osteen hogwash. Come to Jesus, get rich. When you suffer, you are displayed to have the roots. Now Jesus is going to point our attention to that. It's where it goes. Are we going to be those who come here and walk away or those who come here and joyfully obey? Every week you attend church, every week you come and sit and hear these words preached, you have a decision. Lord, Lord, and disobey. Or Lord, Lord, joyfully obey. Hmm. Jesus then goes on to say this, everyone who comes to me and hears my words, so they hear them, uh, they come, right, you come, you come, you hear, and, and then they do them. They display that, that that faith is real. It's acted on. Jesus said, let me, let me show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Think about what he's saying here. You can almost see him in, in Jesus' masterful teaching, maybe 
pointing to a house as he teaches. You see, you see over there? See that house? Look at what this man has done. He labored. He dug deep. Now, the, the interesting thing about foundations is uh, many times you can't see them. They're largely hidden from view. The work, the labor, the, the, the engagement, it's an inside work. It large, in large part, you can't always see the work of, of, of obedience and surrender and introspection and confession and repentance. But that labor is real. And it has an effect. And that house was built on the rock. And then he says this, when a flood arose and stream broke against the house, and they do, don't they? They do. The storm winds blow, the flood waters rise. We live in this world. It's, it's a mess. Some of you are in it right now. You're in the midst of the storm. Some of you have just come through one. Some of you are going into one that you don't even know is coming. Do you have the foundation dug deep? Or is it just, yeah, Lord, Lord, it's all good. Hmm. The storms and the floods, they come from the hand of a loving God. For those who dig deep and lay a foundation on the rock, they come to strengthen our faith. Sometimes they come to reveal its need for growth. But it is a good love. It is an acted upon love. It is, it is not wrath. It is grace. This is one of the things that sets apart Christianity from anything else. It's how we understand suffering. It's what, is it, what does it mean to suffer? Jesus gives us a window into the storm and the flood here. You are equipped for storm winds through obedience day after day after day. Surrender, trust, look to me, wait upon me, depend upon me, and obey me. Faith-filled obedience to Christ reveals a life built upon the rock of Christ. Maybe that's a way to sum that up. The foundation of your life, Christian, is Christ and His work. It's the gospel. That's the root. That's everything to us. Nothing could change that. You can't take that away. So build your life there. Everything you build, build on that. Now the ominous warning. I say ominous because there may have been people in the crowd that day, likely there were, who heard this warning and it went right past them. And they walked away saying, oh, what a great sermon. That was great, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. And they just kept on walking. No change, no obedience, no surrender, no cling to Christ, no rock to build a house on. Verse 49 the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Can you imagine if you just in such a hurry to build a house that you didn't take the, the careful plotting time to lay out the foundation, 
dig down to the rock, get everything squared up and set it. You just start slapping boards together. I mean, we got to get some stuff done. Let's hurry up and do this. We need a house. And you just throw it together. It will not stand. It will not stand. In the case of the second, it is the judgment of God that will tear that house down. And it will be revealed that that house was not built upon the rock of Christ. And the ruin in that house is great. It's hell. That, that's what he's saying. Let's not miss that. The ruin of a life not built on the rock of Christ is eternal hell. And it's love that warns. Dig deep. Build on Christ. Obey Him. Turn to Him. Look to Him. The religion of the day, the Pharisees were so quick to just talk about the building. Just build it. Get it up there. Make it look great. Well, what about the foundation? Don't worry about that. It just needs to look good to impress people. And the slightest little storm comes and down goes the house. Jesus pushed us in. Look at the heart. Where's your heart? How is your heart? Is your heart locked on Christ? Then your life will be too. So, two questions in response this morning. One, what does the overflow of my heart sound like? What does the, the overflow of my heart sound like? Or maybe another image of this would be what kind of fruit is hanging on the branches of my life? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? Do I see increasing displays of God's grace in and through me? Is it, is it consistent with what He's called me to? Or is there something missing big time? The solution is not get a nail gun, as Paul Tripp suggests, uh, jokingly, and nail apples onto a tree. You cannot do that. That's not a way to be fruitful. You've got to go to the root. Look to Christ. Obey Christ. Depend upon Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn to Christ. Be saved. Have a new heart. The gift of God. Secondly, do I delight to obey my Savior as Lord? And when I say Lord, I mean Master and Commander. Not my will, but yours be done. Joyfully. I'm yours. My days are yours. My money is yours. My life is yours. My family is yours. My fun is yours. Everything that I would cling to is yours. Lead me on. Let's do this. Is that the posture of your heart? And I would say ever increasingly so, right? To live is Christ. To die is gain. If the answer to either of these questions or even both of these questions is, I, I, don't, I don't have Jesus as Lord. I don't have Jesus as Savior. Maybe today's the day. All that could change, right? Maybe today He calls you to life. Calls you to repent of sin. Quit living for you and live for Him. 
there's forgiveness. Restoration of fellowship with God. There is eternal life promised. And it's a free gift. (laughs) Free gift. Every other religion on the face of this earth makes you earn it. You have to work for it. And you're never really sure if you're good enough. Christians say, I know I'm not good enough. But he is. He's my only hope. Let's pray. Father, I pray even now as your spirit moves through this building, stirring hearts, convicting hearts, encouraging, building, opening eyes, landing these words like only you can do. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would just glorify your son, Jesus. He is our only hope. Father, we confess our tendency to look to ourselves, this this sinful independence as if somehow we can walk this road on our own, be the master and commander of our own life, our own Lord, our own Savior. How foolish we are. We thank you for opening our eyes, for drawing our attention to Jesus Christ. Lord, if there be any here today, I pray that that your grace would meet them in power even now as I pray, that their hearts would be drawn to you. If you're here, maybe even you could say these words, Lord Jesus, I confess I need you. I am a sinner. I look to Jesus alone as my Savior. Bring forgiveness and life and joy through him. Teach me how to live with you on the throne. Say those words from the heart, truth and honesty. He he will meet you in his promise. Look to him and live. Father, we, we love your grace and your goodness to us in Christ. We make much of you. I pray that we, as we leave from this place, would go and bear fruit for your glory, a fruit that would bless others, And be joyful as we bear it, Lord, evidence of your grace at work in our lives, the root bringing life and bearing fruit. There will come a day, Father, where we will bless you forever, face to face, and every day we have lived will be heralded for your glory. You are good. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.